And so if you would like to feel like you benefit, please uh, come to room 304. And I hope you have and been praying about the meetings coming up, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. The revival services with uh, Gloria Fajardo. And so I want you to come, come expecting. Uh, you will see the gifts of the Spirit in operation. This lady uh, loves the Lord. I've been in services with her. She is a powerhouse for God. And I'm glad she's on our side. Amen. Come on out and let's come out believing. Uh, also, the fellowship, we're going to ministry to uh, adults ages 18 to 28. Uh, we're going to have a date at the lake. Uh, just contact Lance or Glenn Barn for more details. I want you to take your Bibles with me, if you will. Let's go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Again, we've been, we've been walking along with Nehemiah, looking at this man who's rebuilding the wall and this man who was a man of prayer. I don't know, I, I love Ian Bounds, if you, if you like. He's my favorite author, one of my favorite authors on prayer. But Ian Bounds made this statement. If you want to do much for God, you've got to do much with God. And so Nehemiah was a man who was much with God, and he did much for God. And so as we look, turn to the passage tonight, let's ask the Lord to move upon us as he wills. Father, we just come before you, we ask, Lord, as we break bread, Lord, that we would rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, as we handle the sacrifice of Christ tonight, we pray, Lord Jesus, that, Lord, no bone will be broken, but, Lord, that we would rightly divide the word of truth. I pray for strength and encouragement. I pray, Father God, that you would invoke, Lord God, prayer, Lord, in our life like never before, as we see the day of your return approaching. And, Father, we ask tonight, Lord God, Revelation that brings us into intimacy in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Now, if you will summarize, I, I love to read different translations, and a lot of times I, I, I've been picking up and reading uh, the Passion Translation. It just gives a different perspective in so many ways. But if you want to talk about Nehemiah and kind of summarize his, uh, his life, uh, I read in Devotion Psalms 27 and 14. Of the passion it says here's what I have learned through it all this is what I've learned through it all don't give up don't be impatient be entwined as one with the Lord be brave and courageous and never lose hope yes keep on waiting for he will never disappoint you not good amen you know what that word wait means it's not an inactive word that word wait, where it says wait upon the Lord, those that want to renew their strength, uh, they wait upon the Lord, the, the Lord. That means an entwining. It means to, to, to twist oneself together. What we're doing when we're waiting upon the Lord is we're not unoccupied. What we're doing is we're wrapping ourselves in the Word. We're wrapping ourselves in the promises of God. We're holding on to the Lord. So as we look here, I've, I've noticed something before we get into the text tonight, which will be Nehemiah 6. I've noticed something about the, the enemy when it comes to the work of God. The enemy when it comes to the work of God. You look at how he never took notice until there was word that the house is being built and the walls are being erected. Didn't pay much attention. Nobody really owned Samuel's divided and didn't pay much notice. But as soon as they got word that they were going to go in and rebuild the wall, what kind of criticism They begin to criticize. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of folks that will, that's all that's needed, a little criticism, and they're gone. Come on. Little, little criticism, and they're gone. That's all they need. But it's a tactic of the enemy. Little criticism, and they take off. But we noticed last week, well, the building materials that were being used was the brokenness of the past. Now, the wall wasn't just, just a theory and a thought and a vision. It was, it was coming up. It was halfway complete. It was, it was being erected. And now, you get a little bit more intense. You notice that the enemy begins to threaten them. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to stop you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch you in your blind spots of your brokenness. I'm going to let everybody know, and it's going to destroy. 
So you went from criticism to threats. We'll maybe talk about it next week, but then there is the persuasion. The enemy comes in and the walls have been erected. The gates are the only thing left. So the criticism didn't work. The threatening didn't work. What's what is he going to use that? Let's counsel together. Come and let's reason together. Would you go with me to the plain of Ono? Anytime the enemy invites you to the plain of Ono, just say no, no. <laughs> no, no to the plain of Ono, okay? So, and you notice that the enemy didn't come and make the personal invitation. He just kept sending the invitation. We'll talk about that more next week. But today, I want to look at Nehemiah, the sixth chapter, because the enemy uses another, another tactic. And this tactic that we're going to talk about tonight is manipulation. See, if criticism doesn't work, he might threaten you. If threatening doesn't work, he may try to counsel with you. If counsel doesn't work, then he may try to manipulate you through fear. So I'm going to tackle this tonight. And I love what John G. Glenn says. Said, he said, when we are born again, I want you to get this. When we are born again, we become sons of God. Men's servants and the devil's master. I think that was better. Did you hear me? Don't turn me off. When you become, when you are born again, you are God's sons and daughters. You are man's servants. In other words, we're here to serve humanity and their needs. We are we, we, we emulate, imitate Jesus by becoming like him, serving others, but we are also the devil's master. And I think it's time that we realize that and begin to walk in. I want you to look here at Nehemiah 6. No, I did some build up here. But let's look at Nehemiah 6. Afterward, it came, I came to the house of Shemaiah. Shemaiah. The son of Delilah. Shemaiah, the son of Delilah. The son of Mehetabel. Mehetabel. Who was a secret informant? And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Verse 11, chapter 6. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Notice verse 12. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Samuel who hired him. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. Notice the man of prayer. My God, remember Tobiah and Samuel according to their works and this prophetess Neodiah and the rest of the prophets who have made me afraid. I perceive that this was not of God. Now, as we look at this tonight, we're going to look at how the enemy of fear wants to manipulate you. And I don't know if you realize this, but everything that's going on in the world is, is fueled by some, some demonic spirits that, that are back there. That along with this disease, the big C, has come along the spirit of fear that has swept through not just our nation but the world. And it's there, it's evident, we understand that, that there are spirits of infirmity that have attacked and, and, and bring forth questions. We understand that we live in a world that is full of angst. We understand that we may be in a boat in the middle of a storm, but we need to realize the storm may get in a boat, but the storm does not have to get in us. Now we can walk in the peace of God. 
as we look at this, we, we see how, how do we know fear is manipulating? How do I know that I'm being manipulated by fear and, and the persuasion of fear trying to draw me off the task and the purpose and the post, my position in the body of Christ? I want you to know, first off, don't be fooled by spiritual superiority. Let me, let me explain this to you. This, this uh, Shemaya, he was a, his name literally means one who hears and obeys God. That's what his name means. He was a lineage of a priesthood, but he is also in this scenario here, he's revealed as a prophet. So he's prophesying. So he, he comes in and and, and he looks very, very spiritual. He, he come from a lineage of priests. His daddy was a priest, his daddy was a priest, his daddy was a priest, and thank God for heritage. I'm not talking about heritage. I'm just talking about the super spirituality that sometimes takes place, the, the, the super apostles mm -hmm. that you'll find in the world sometimes. And they, they, they're cloaked with all the spirituality and, and don't be fooled by that. Listen to the voice of the Spirit and line everything up to the Word. Amen? Amen? Because the Word of the Lord says, if one prophesies, let others judge. Well, you ain't supposed to judge us according to the Word we are. We're supposed to look at and see whether or not that prophecy is real or not. Now, listen to me. God is not the one going around spreading, spreading rumors. I'm not going to sing me all the word. Okay. That song just jumped in my mind. You know the one, don't you? Anyway, let's get away from that. See, the Lord I have found the nature of God. He, he doesn't go and gossip about my issues or someone else. Usually when somebody comes, they're bringing confirmation of what the Lord has already spoken to me. What the Lord has already shared. He, he affirms. Now, it doesn't mean that there may be individuals in your life that are reached, or heading for an impending doom that God may not give you a word for them. That's happened to me in times past. This young man came to one of our youth events, and man, he walked in the door, never met him before. Soon he walked in the door, just the spirit of intercession just ripped my heart. I, I left the meeting with the youth, went into another room. I fell on my face and began to weep and began to wail. And I told him, Anderson, what is wrong with you? know something about this young man. I said, there is something going to happen to this young man. So I felt the need to go tell him. I went and told him. I said, I don't know if you can take it for what it's worth. Anytime I'll tell somebody, you take it for what it's worth. You're willing to reject it or accept it. I said, please. I, I said, please, listen to me. Just be careful. I don't know what you're into. I don't know where you're going, but just be careful. Uh, I said, I feel like, you know, there's some things that if God speaks to you, don't go in that direction. The next week, he was in a motorcycle accident. He survived that. Everything was fine. He came back to our youth group, and I still felt that sense of doom. I've been praying for him. He was on his way to graduate in school. He was having problems with a full ride on a basketball scholarship. The next week, he was in a car accident and was paralyzed permanently from the waist down. So what I'm saying to you is it doesn't mean that God may not use you to help or to bless somebody. But I've had people come to me and give me words that were not complimenting, that were not that literally, if received, would have brought me to a place of fear. And you know what? I have the right to say no. Mm -hmm. No. No, thank you. You keep that very short. Maybe you're not. So, just, I'm giving you license to think for yourself. That's what I'm telling you. Okay? And don't be fooled by that over-spirituality, but don't be so resistant that you can't hear and line it up with the Word of God. Okay? Because God can speak to you. He speaks your language. But how am I being manipulated by fear? Just looking at the text here. Just looking at it and seeing what's happening. It's, the, the prophet comes to him translation, it's kind of confusing, but one translation said that this gentleman 
was crippled in his legs. So I don't know, sometimes you get different translations and have different descriptions of individuals. But it says that Nehemiah knew he was going to his house and he was one that was not in the temple, but it was crippled in his legs, and that basically he looked like he was not any threat to Nehemiah, that he almost presented himself in such overwhelming innocence that there was no threat. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, we couldn't give Nehemiah a criticism, we couldn't even with threatening his life, we couldn't counsel him away from the work of God. Let's manipulate him with fear. Let's bring an innocent person, a supposed innocent prophet priest before him, and let us walk in there ever so subtly and just tell him, man, I've got word, they're coming to kill you, and they're gonna do it tonight. You're not gonna live till morning. See, fear so many times will come and want you to have a knee-jerk reaction. That's right. Answer, it's like that salesman. This people is only for this moment. Mm -hmm. You've got to answer right now. If you don't, if you don't push the push the button and you sign on the bottom line, we gotta sign this app. And if you don't do it, then the little savings <laughs> is all gone. You gotta do it today. See, that's the way fear works. When you find yourself in a knee-jerk situation where you feel like impending doom is about to take place, do what Nehemiah did and just take a breath. Just, I perceive. I perceive this is not God. So how am I, when the enemy is trying to, what is his ultimate goal? We're going to keep going here until we find out. But when he leaves you with no other choice, and you must act now, he's demanding that knee-jerk reaction. How many of you ever been overcome with the spirit of fear, with fear, and it just grips your heart, causes your palms to sweat, you feel anxiety, you feel your, your, your hair standing up on the back of your head, and you feel like, oh no, I've got to do something right now. I've got the impending doom. Just hold on. Just hold on. Just hold on. Notice, he said, the next option, let's run and hide. Let's go close the doors. Make sure nobody can get into us. Come on. Come on, Nehemiah. Come on. We're going to do this right now. Let's run and hide. Let's run and hide. Let's get out, of the, get out of the public arena and let's go and close the door. Let's close the door behind us. Let's draw the shades. Let's don't even peek out, okay? Let's just make sure we get in that house and, and board it up and nobody's going to get to us. See, that's when fear is in operation. And fear is trying to manipulate when we're feeling the need to run and hide. Now, it may not be running to the house. It might just be hiding in the house. It might just be hiding here. It might just be walled off. You got the sign up. Do not disturb. You know, when you go to Walmart, you're trying to run in on Saturday morning and you got your flip flops, you have to put your hair, you got your beyond up. <laughs> you know, your makeup and all that stuff. Ladies, I'm just including you in on this. Did you see everybody you've ever known in your whole life? <laughs> that, that happens to all of us. Come on. You didn't brush your teeth, you won't talk anybody because you know your breath stinks. But you just come running to get that milk because those pancakes need to be made. That doesn't have to occasionally. I'm talking about a lifestyle of the signs up. Don't mess with me. Don't talk to me. I don't have anything to say. And we put these walls up and we're hiding and ultimately we're being manipulated by fear. As we look, Notice Nehemiah said, he said, a man such as I. What was he, what was that reference to? What was he talking about? See, the desire of fear is for me to forsake my post. Ultimately, fear is to keep us from our place in the body of Christ. Nehemiah was the governor over the city of Jerusalem. 
He was the one declaring to the people, stand and fight for your brothers, for your sisters, for the land. Don't forsake your post. What is fear wanting? What is fear trying to manipulate to get, get you away from your authority, away from your place, away from your position in the body of Christ? He's telling you to leave others unprotected. Just stay back. Give up your authority. Notice there that Nehemiah said this is the reason that he hired the false prophet to come and prophesy to me. And I assure you, child of God, that it is easy to let those words seep into your heart. How is it that we find it much easier to listen to the negative than we do to the positive? And how those things will begin to germinate in our spirit if we allow it. If we are persuaded by it, it can begin to manipulate us and convince us that we're not where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we need to go hide ourselves. For what aim would cause us to sin? That word sin there again literally means to miss the mark, to lose oneself, to lose the path, or forfeit it. That's what sin means. We forfeit the promise, the calling, and the inheritance that God has for us. Let me ask you this question. What empowers truth? What empowers truth? Hmm? I know I hate when Andrew does this. I hate it. It's like, you got the answer, and you're asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, quit calling on me in my class. No, I mean, she's going to. What empowers truth is the same thing that empowers love. Belief. Or belief. If I believe it. See, the enemy's persuasion is getting you to believe a lie. The enemy's persuasion is getting you to believe that you are not the person that you are. That was the very temptation in the garden. Eve and Adam had everything. The, the, the temptation was if you're not, you don't have what you need. You are not to, as you ought to be. There's something lacking. And that's still the enemy's. That's his MO. That's what he tries to bring to That's what fear tries to bring to us. He's telling us that we're not who we are called in Christ to be, that we, we are not as we ought to be. And so if we believe that, we have empowered it. See, truth is truth, whether we believe it or not. Truth will always be true. You don't have to believe in God, but it doesn't stop God's belief in you. Now, you don't have to believe that he's coming, but folks, he's coming. Amen. But see, what empowers the truth is my belief in the truth. Now I want you to, let's switch gears a little bit. And I want, as we look at how to manage the manipulation of fear, Nehemiah said, I perceive. Look around you for just a moment. When you start to feel yourself overwhelmed that you need to make this knee-jerk reaction, you need to run and hide, you need to forfeit whatever place you are. And let me tell you folks, it don't always feel good when you are operating in the will of God. We'll get into the building and battles. We've talked about that, but we need to understand that in the journey when God is taking our brokenness and putting it back in place, when he is delving deep into our heart and he's speaking to us and he is shaping and molding us and we're spinning on the potter's wheel and everything's outside of our controls. Let me tell you, control freaks, one thing they hate is not being in control.
I guess so great for fear that he couldn't stand his decision. Mm -hmm. God didn't tell him to come and build the walls around Jerusalem so that he could walk in fear. Yeah. He didn't tell him to come and build the gates and establish the city so that he would be destroyed. No, the very prophecy is true. So don't always trust your feelings. You've got to know what you know by faith. Look what the enemy is demanding of you, what he's asking. What am I to have a your reaction? And then I want you to compare that to the purpose of God. What is God's purpose for my life? And then I want to spend the rest of the time we have tonight. I want you to reach for faith. I want you to reach for faith. As I was looking up, a little scripture in James says, You'll call the elders of the church and lay hands on the sick. In the prayer of faith, you do what? Heal. The word is healed, but some translations say saved. Anybody ever been perplexed by that word saved? Anybody? See, the word saved doesn't mean healed. It's sozo. Sozo. It means to save, deliver, set free, to rescue. To rescue someone out of a perilous situation, not just to rescue them, but put them in a safe place. Somebody from a, in, a, in a frozen lake, Sozo would come in and rescue them out of that hypothermia by bringing them into a place where they could warm up. Or uh, rescue someone out of a, a raging, flooding river. They would, Sozo would reach down and pull that individual out of that flooding river and not just set them next to the bank, but put them in an elevated place where they are now safe. See, when the Lord comes in and he saves us, he sozos us. He delivers us. He sets us free. He puts us in a safe place, which is him. Amen? And then it says the prayer of faith. That word faith is the same as pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. -T -I -S, pistis. It means that it's kind of wonderful. In fact, if you look it up in the lexicon, I'm not going to get into all of it tonight, but if you look that word up in the lexicon, it'll preach itself. If you don't know what the lexicon is, I'll take you after church. But it's just the, it's just the definition of that word. It just unfolded and unfolded and unfolded. So as we are going to combat fear, we've got to do the opposite, which is faith. Amen? Faith. Now, the good is about to get good. Amen? So as you look here, what is the enemy trying to do? For fear is trying to persuade. But you know what the word, the root word, the root meaning of the word faith, what it means is God's divine persuasion. <laughs> God's divine persuasion. Now why do we read the word of God? It's because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does the word of God do? It persuades us. The, the more I read it, the more I believe it, the more it persuades me of what God wants to persuade me to his will. It also means guarantee. Guarantee. It's like if you went and bought an appliance from my Patsuko place because all of mine seemed to go out at once. First it was the wash and dryer. We're like, yeah, we can live with that. Get ready to go. Celebrate. Take us. Uh, wedding and our refrigerator so it's got a manufactured warranty on the one we just purchased there's a guarantee if it goes out in this amount of time then ultimately we can take it back and we can get another one it's guaranteed that's what the word faith means it's a guarantee of the promises of God the beautiful thing is there's no expiration date on the warranties of God that ever existed. If that's not good enough, it is God's warranty that guarantees the fulfillment of the revelation he births within the receptive believer. It's the guarantee and the warranty that he births in the, the revelation he births within the believer. But what really caught my eye Hmm. Can I help you? Can I help you? Faith 
is, now this is, I'm reading directly from the lexicon, this statement. Faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. Think about that. Faith is gift. Now, what would it look like if we begin to operate with faith as a gift, not as a result of my self-effort? Tommy Girls, you know, so I can pick you. You might like this picture. I got a two-dollar bill, it's only there if I'm in the water. This was given to me as a gift. I'm going to give it to you. Do not give me that picture. You can give it away. You can spend it where you want to do it. You might get a stick of bubble gum with it. Okay, move on. Did you have any problem receiving that? No, sir. Did you do anything to earn it? No, sir. It's a gift. That's what faith is. Faith is a gift. Would you have more trouble if I gave you $200? Honestly. <laughs> 200,000? Uh, 2 million? You wouldn't have any trouble. Would anybody in here have trouble with me walking up here with $2 million? No, no. I'll think about this moment. I'm about to ask questions. Well, well strings, that's, that's kind of what you start thinking. Am I worthy? Come on, yeah. This, what do you want in return? You've heard Andrew's Rings with Strings story. We were pastoring our first church, and this lady who's uh, gone on to be with the Lord, we don't. But anyway, she, she came. <clears throat> she was just her computer so sweet. But she came, she had a ring, and she came, she said, Oh, honey, come here. Young pastor's wife, I got something for you. I got this ring, this beautiful ring, full of diamonds and things. And we had this brother that, that in our previous church, we ministered together, and he sat at her table, and he, he began to prophesy to her and said, one day somebody's going to give you gold, and go and give you diamonds. So she's like, well, maybe this is part of it. So gives her this ring, but next thing you know, she has this ring, she's going to push things you need to know. Don't tell anybody that I gave it to you, okay? Don't tell anybody I gave it to you. Now, then she would call him here. Oh, honey, could you take me to the doctor? I seen you Sunday and you had that ring on you. It was so beautiful. And could you come over and help me clean my house? I'm going to have a yard sale this week. And I'll tell you, the most diamonds shine so brightly on your, on your finger. And that was so beautiful. And, and, and could you come over? I'm having a yard sale and I need somebody to get all the boxes out of my garage and get them all set up. What did she receive? A ring with strings. She got so tired of that ring. She gave it to her mother, said, you have it, it's yours, don't do it, I don't want it. Her mother didn't wear rings, so she gave it to my daughter, Hannah. You know what Hannah did? She had to melt it down and make it three rings, and now Andrew has a ring, and Lenny has a ring, and she's got a ring. Isn't that beautiful? But she uses that story so often about her rings or strings, but here's the thing. When God gives us gifts, it doesn't have any strings. He gave us the gift of salvation because he loves us. His motivation is because he loves us. You can't save yourself. Oh, my God. You can't be good enough. There's no amount of self-effort that can cause you to be good enough to be saved. It is a gift we receive from God. But also, I had such a struggle with the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I thought I was doing something wrong and I couldn't receive a baptism. And I would struggle over receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it's only when I realize it's a gift and not something I earn, I just must receive it. Well, we have discovered that righteousness is extraterrestrial. In other words, it's not of this world. There's no righteousness that's good enough. I don't care how pious you think you are or anybody that you perceive to be pious. Understand this righteousness, right standing with God and being as you ought to be is only in faith in Jesus Christ. And at salvation, he imparts his righteousness to us. Now we operate not to righteousness, but from 
church. Whenever we begin to perceive, I'll read you the definition straight out of the dictionary of the word faith. It is a gift of God that is not produced by us. Given to us. It's having a key to unlock a door that otherwise cannot See, we can't get back to God without the key of faith. But he has given to every man the measure of faith. But what if, when circumstance arose, instead of trying to put the key of self-effort on what I call faith, my spiritual calisthenics, but I want to warm my righteousness, oh, I just haven't done enough, I haven't, I haven't fasted enough, I haven't prayed enough, I haven't done enough, because all religion will tell you is do more, do more, do more, do more. And so we approach God not as a gift that he has given us to get us back to him, but a, but a work that we have to do on our side to get to that place. I don't know if that helps anybody else, but that sure enough helps me. When I begin to perceive that faith is a gift. It's a gift. So when you lay hands upon the sick, You pray in faith. You pray in the persuasion of the Lord, of divine things. You pray in revelation and the guarantee and the warranty of His goodness and mercy. Well, you're you're laying. You're not going out and trying to work it up. You're not trying to build it up because you're you're not operating. From self effort. Operating from a gift. A gift. God the Father is a good Father. And He gives good gifts to His children. You are His children. Is this resonating with anybody in time? We're going to be asking for a service. Service to come up, or services coming up next weekend. And, and we're asking the Holy Spirit to show up in a mighty way. I want to see people healed, saved, delivered, set free. Not because we have a, I just want to give God an opportunity to do whatever God wants to do. What is, what is prayer? It's giving God a reason to act. But when we, we give God a reason to act, and we, we lay hands upon the sick, we, we say, Lord, we're just gonna, we're just gonna operate in this gift that you have given us. This divine persuasion that you have imparted, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. Not of, it, it is a gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. Well, in that passage, we understand that salvation is a gift, but also that is the same word for faith. There is no other word. It, it is a pistis. It means that literally it, faith is a gift from God. Cannot be earned, created, built up from human side. It's a gift. Changes. You see, doesn't faith say, doesn't the word say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? You can take that, that gift and be more persuaded. Because, see, faith will attract Christ. Amen. Faith declares the Father is faithful. He declares that God is reliable. Faith is a gift. How will the Lord What have I done? What 
we're presenting ourselves as teachable, Lord, show us those things we do not know. Lord, we ask tonight that you would help us operate in the gift of faith. Lord, that when we do lay hands, we understand that it's not our spiritual measure, nor our spiritual lack, or the other person's lack in which we receive. Lord, it's simply the gift that you have given us. And Lord, let us operate there. Let us operate there. If you've got sickness in your body, just right now where you're at, just lift your hands up. I, I feel like God's going to do something tonight. I feel like the Lord's just going to do something in individuals tonight. Right there, right there where you're at, and the privacy between you and the Lord. If you've got a, if you've got a situation in your body, in your family, an, an area, a need of sickness, I just want you right now. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Just begin to allow them. Come on. Come on. Father, in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus.
Jackson Sandiford is North Texas Youth Alive representative missionary, and he's working now with Pastor Grimes, and they're working with my son, Jacob and Louie. But they, they go into the communities and get them on campuses and start campus ministries. Uh, our youth are going to him uh, tomorrow, and they'll be there for Sunday. And they have already got together, and they are taking 26 students, and they want to come back, and they don't lose any momentum. So they're going to have, when they get back, they're going to have a Tuesday night service, a Wednesday night service, and a Thursday night service. Then they're going to come, and they're going to join us. They're going to join us on Saturday night for a revival. And then Sunday morning and Sunday night, and then we're going to keep on keeping on, amen? Because we want God to move, because we know God has to move. Because this world is, is, is pretty much in dire straits. So tonight, I want us to, be, I want us to pray. We're going to pray for the offering. We're going to pray for our kids as we go to camp. Our, our youth, I don't think we call them kids anymore. We call them students, our students. And we're going to pray for revival of our campuses. Amen? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you. And Lord, we lift our offerings before the throne of grace. And Lord, we just believe tonight. Lord, that every dime, every dollar, Lord God, is going to go, Lord, to empower our missionaries and to accomplish the work, Lord God, that is set before you. But Father, we pray, Lord God, Lord, we pray for revival, Lord God. Lord, not just among our senior adults and adults and our young parents, Lord God, and our young adults, but Lord, we want revival from our, our youth to our children all the way down to the nursery. We want our kids and our kids' kids and every generation to follow, Lord, to know the blessings of God, to not accept, accept Lord God, the world and the status quo, but to have a hunger deep in their heart to say, I want more of God. I've had enough of the world. I've had enough of the world telling me who I am. I want to know who God says that I am. I pray that this week, Lord, there are young students that are called out into full-time ministry. I pray that there are students that are saved and baptized in the glorious baptism of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord God, that they will come back with a fire, Lord God, in their belly. And, Lord God, they will carry it onto the campuses, Lord God. Lord God, to the, the Christian school, to the Lord, to the arts academy, Lord, arts and science, and every campus in this community, every campus, Lord God, outside of this community. Lord, we pray a revival, Lord God, where the glory and the power of God falls in the classroom, Lord God, and the children, Lord, begin to prophesy about the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, there's a moving, Lord God, of your spirit and our campuses, and Jesus, holy name, Jesus, holy name. Lord, we pray, Father God, that our campuses in your Texas would have this year such a move of your spirit that it will stop all the onslaught of the enemy. That, Lord God, there will be a frustration in the hearts of you to say, I am tired of the world telling me who I am. I want to know who my creator God says that I am. In Jesus' name. 